If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word and turn with me to Romans chapter 11. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 946. That is page 946. Romans chapter 11, as we will be studying God's kindness as well as his severity this morning. God's kindness and his severity. Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles in as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches are broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue, their unbelief will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, engrafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Please be seated. So it is by God's grace that he has extended salvation to sinners through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, on the cross. Sinners are made righteous only by repenting of their sins and trusting in Christ and Christ alone for their salvation. All who call on Him will be saved, Romans 10, verse 13. Paul has explained God's righteousness to those in Rome, and then he discusses the truth that God has not failed Israel. We are still discussing this truth in Romans 11. That if God is to be trusted, all must know that he has not failed in any of his promises. That he has kept his word perfectly. Because if God has failed in just one promise, how can we as God's people today trust him? God's promise of salvation was never for all of Israel, only a remnant. Just like the Gentiles, only a remnant will be saved. Jesus did not die on the cross for everyone. He died for those whom God predestined before the foundation of the world, those from every tribe, tongue, language, and people. All will not be saved. Jesus never taught universalism, 
Only those who enter by him will be saved. So there is not a wide way that leads to heaven, but a narrow gate and a narrow way. Matthew 7, verse 14, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the only way to eternal life. We have learned how sinners are made righteous before a holy God, and now we continue to learn how God has not failed Israel and can be fully trusted. In a fallen world, with a life of many difficulties, it is joyful to know that the God of all creation is a God who can be trusted. On the darkest of days, what a light it is, what a sure foundation that we have to trust the promises of God, knowing that they will all come to pass. To knowing if even if everything else falls apart in our life, we know that God will not fall apart. To know that God has kept his every promise, having his remnant year after year, that he has never failed, to be confident that those who have gone before us are now with him. That this cloud of witnesses that surround us, the Spirit of God in us, working and sanctifying, the Son of God interceding for us, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit who will bring us to completion, This is a major comfort beyond words. Our God has not failed, and we, as his children, can completely trust him. Look at Romans 11, beginning in verse 11. So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Paul's anticipating what those in Rome are going to be Asking him and saying, it's like, so you're saying that God has not failed Israel. Now Paul gets to the point. It's like, okay, let me get to this. So I asked, did they stumble or they might fall? By no means. Israel did not stumble so that they would fall. By no means. May it never be. God forbid is his answer. That the majority of Israel has failed to believe, holding to salvation by works and not by faith. They stumbled over Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Paul discusses God's design in Israel stumbling and falling. And Paul's answer is threefold. Number one, salvation has come to the Gentiles because Israel stumbled and fell. Salvation has come to the Gentiles because Israel stumbled and fell. Number two, salvation of the Gentiles will cause Israel to become jealous or envious. Salvation of the Gentiles will cause Israel to become jealous or envious. And number three, Israel's jealousy of the Gentiles will lead to the full inclusion of Israel. Israel's jealousy of the Gentiles will lead to the full inclusion of Israel. So let's look at these three closely. Because if not dissected and broken apart, it can sound like I'm saying something that I'm not. So number one, salvation has come to the Gentiles because Israel stumbled and fell. It was always the will of God that salvation first be extended to the Jews, followed by the Gentiles. The Jews are God's chosen people, and Jesus himself said, I have come for the lost sheep of Israel. Matthew 10, 5 and 6, these 12 Jesus sent out and instructed them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
So he said specifically, go nowhere among the Gentiles. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew 15, beginning in verse 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But Jesus did not answer her a word. His disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Christ was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The Jews, they had everything. They had the prophets. They had the word of God. They had Jesus himself. Jesus himself was a Jew. But as a whole, they sought salvation by works and not by faith. Not much has changed in today's population. Let us be reminded of what the Apostle Paul has already said. In Romans chapter 1, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So to the Jew first and also the Greek. In Romans chapter 2, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good for the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. So through the trespass of the Jews, salvation has come to the Gentiles. The second reason the Jews stumbled is because the salvation of the Gentiles will cause Israel to become jealous or envious. The salvation of the Gentiles will cause Israel to become jealous or or envious. Paul already quoted Hosea in Romans chapter 9. He said this, Those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. So the Jews pursued salvation by the law, while the Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness, they attained it by faith. So salvation is by faith, it is is not by works. In Romans 10, we find, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So the salvation of the Gentiles will cause Israel to become jealous or envious. Reason three. Israel's jealousy of the Gentiles will lead to the full inclusion of Israel. Israel's jealousy of the Gentiles will lead to the full inclusion of Israel. Now, this does not mean that all Israel will be saved. For not all Israel is Israel, as Paul has already said. This simply means that the elect Jews will be saved. Romans 9, verse 27 
And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. So one thing is certain, God is not done saving Jews or Gentiles. He is a gracious God who continues to extend his grace to whom he wills. Look at Romans 11, verse 12. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will full inclusion mean? This is where Paul ramps up in the language. He gets excited right here. He says, Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Israel's failure to see salvation by faith has led to riches for the Gentiles. Now, I don't know of any Jews in this room. I could be wrong. But praise God that salvation has been extended to the Jews and the Gentiles. It also seems from this verse that God's elect or God's remnant will include a larger amount of Jews in the future. That God's ways are mysterious, are they not? His ways are not our ways. Out of failure of his chosen people, he brings good riches to the Gentiles. I love the words of R.C. Sproul. He said, The grand mystery so heavily veiled in the Old Testament is now made clear. The Gentiles are included in the people of God. Even though it was veiled in Old Testament history, it was not totally hidden. He has worked through the disobedience of one group to bring a larger group into his household of faith. Israel's stumbling was always part of God's glorious plan of redemption, just like it was always his plan for Jesus to come and to die and to rise. Salvation has come to the Gentiles because Israel stumbled and fell. The salvation of the Gentiles will cause Israel to become jealous or envious, and Israel's jealousy of the Gentiles will lead to the full inclusion of Israel. Romans eleven thirteen and 14, Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. So Paul was a Jew, but he was God's chosen instrument to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul himself, as we've already said, is proof that God has not failed Israel because a Jew has been saved. And Paul is part of the magnification that makes the Jews jealous by taking the gospel to the Gentiles and fulfilling the mission that God chose for him. He desires the Jews to be saved. He longs for them to be jealous and for his ministry to save some of them. I really hope as God's people, that's also our desire as well. That in how we live, in in our teaching, in our life, We long to see sinners made righteous before a holy God. Then we're just not thankful to God for what he's done, but we also love God by obeying his commands. That we long to see people saved. He desired Jews to be saved. He longed for them to become jealous, to get upset, to get angry. And he longed for his ministry to save some of them, even though he was chosen to do this 
for the Gentiles. In his preaching, in his teaching, in his ministry, he longed for his people to be saved. Romans 11, verse 15, For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? This is the passing from spiritual death to spiritual life. Jesus said this in John 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. But the Lord has his grand plan, that it is, and his plan is a remnant of the Jews and a remnant of the Gentiles. To pass from death to life is the picture of being spiritually dead and being granted spiritual life by the Lord. Romans eleven sixteen. If the dough offered at first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. So in context, Paul is saying that God has not failed Israel. Elect Israel will be saved. Therefore, God has not given Israel over. James Montgomery Boyce said this, What Paul is doing is drawing upon an Old Testament understanding of holiness to carry forward the important point he's making in Romans 11, namely that God has not given up on Israel. God is not done with his chosen people. He will save those who are his children of promise. Now, we get to some words here. First fruits, the first fruits, the children of Abraham, the remnant, they are holy. The whole lump is holy. The root is holy. Abraham and the patriarchs, including all the branches, all of God's children, all of his remnant children, Jews and Gentiles, will be saved and are made holy by the blood of Christ. Look at verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. I, verse 17 and 18, they jump off the page to me, and, and, and they were screaming. as like, you know what I'm chosen to do. I'm to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. And now he is telling the Gentiles, don't you dare be arrogant and prideful, saying, look, they've been cut off because of their unbelief. Don't think that you deserve salvation. The wild olive shoots, the Gentiles, they must not be arrogant toward the Jews who are broken off because of their unbelief. Gentiles are grafted or inserted in but salvation is all of grace. Whether Jew or Gentile, one is not saved based upon ethnicity or because they deserve it, but upon God who gives the grace. Salvation is from the Jews, but God elects whom he wills to be saved. This is where we need to understand not only the sovereignty and the providence of God, but our job, our command from God to go and share the gospel. The means by which we have the message, the means by which God saves sinners is through his, his primary means is his church going and sharing. Salvation is from the Jews, but God elects whom he wills to be saved. Verse 19 of chapter 11 then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. I love what he, that is true. 
They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. So Jews were broken off because of their unbelief so that Gentiles might be grafted or inserted in. Don't be prideful and say, ha ha, the Jews messed up. It is natural for us to think that way, not just with this, but with everything else. Look at what they're doing, or look at what they're doing, or look at this. It's all grace. Gentiles must not become proud or high-minded, but stand fast through their God-given faith. That is, we need the never-ending reminder that salvation is all of grace, standing in the faith of God that he has given to us. Faith is a gift. We dare not look at the Jews and call them fools and boast in our salvation. If one does this, they, they show themselves to be foolish and ignorant, as if you've done something right. It's all of grace. If you are saved, it is all of God having grace upon you. Therefore, look what Paul says. So do not become proud, but fear. Fear the Lord. Have great reverence and respect and honor for the one whom has saved you. Fear him and dispose of all your personal pride. Hebrews 4, verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. As a pastor, that is always a personal fear of mine, that there are individuals, a part of this flock, who just profess faith in Christ. It's true through their lips, but it's not true in their heart. You're called to fear. Humble yourself before the Lord. Do not become proud. You stand fast through your God-given faith. Gentiles are not better than Jews. Jews are not better than Gentiles. Of all the people in the world, Christians should display the most humility, not being a proud people. Because we, compared to the rest of the world, we understand grace. We understand that we don't deserve salvation. We haven't earned salvation. That God has freely blessed us by calling us to himself. That we were strangers wandering from him. And by his grace, he brought us to him. We should be praising and fearing God who has had mercy on us. Born again creatures should have great reverence and respect for the Lord. We should be a humble people. Look at verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then, or behold, the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even if they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, meaning if they believe, they will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? As Paul is informing those in Rome about salvation, he is also instructing us. 
Jew or Gentile, his remnant are to respond with humility and marvel at the kindness of God. I mean, we should marvel that a holy God has saved me. He has saved me. I mean, the Holy Spirit has brought to you, even this morning, the sins, and you've, if you've been faithful, you've confessed those sins to the Lord. You understand that you don't deserve salvation. Paul uses the word note then, or behold, the kindness and the severity of God. Not just the kindness of God, but his kindness and his severity. Both are required. And in most of our culture, only one is emphasized. His kindness. Kindness, his friendliness, his goodness, his gentleness, his pleasantness. That the kindness or goodness of God is given, it's not earned. That God is kind in giving salvation to those who have fallen, who are undeserving, who are his enemy. We are to think of God's kindness as well as God's severity or dis. Decisiveness. Severity is rigor. His sharpness, his decisiveness, his harshness, his sternness, that God's judgment is coming. He is kind, but he must punish sin. It's as if God was saying, Apostle Paul was saying when he said this, I want you to think about the kindness and severity of God. He jumped back to Exodus 34 where God describes himself, the Lord, the Lord, God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, but who will by no means clear the guilty. His kindness and his severity. Listen to the words of Daniel Dornai. He said, kindness covers God's compassion, grace, love, and faithfulness, which we love hearing about this, but his severity indicates he does not leave the guilty unpunished. A proper concept of God requires that we see the unity of his kindness and severity. We are to hold out the kindness of God as well as hold out the severity of God. God is kind, but at the same time, he is also a consuming fire. And we make jokes of this and we, we see blasphemy about this within many churches and many things saying, oh look, it's the glory of God come down. We hold out the kindness of God and we say that God is love. Yes, absolutely. But we also hold out his severity. Because God is love, he is also just and he must punish sin. And when he comes back, that's what he's going to do. And unless you repent of your sins, and if you're not saved now, God's wrath abides on you now. We hold out the kindness of God and his severity. God is kind, but at the same time, he is also a consuming fire that God's people must not fail to personally forget or talk about the severity of God. That means in evangelism, we don't just talk about the goodness of God. We also talk about the fact that we have failed. And because we have failed, we are not worshiping him. And because we are not worshiping him, we are not his. And because we are not his, God is already judging us and we are found without salvation. The Lord will not clear the guilty. He is just. So as Christians, we are not to just think about the kindness of God. We are to continue 
in his kindness. It's not enough to think. It's, we must also do. It says you continue in his kindness. We continue in his word. We continue in his church. We continue to seek him in prayer. We remind ourselves daily of his commands, our need to glorify God and to enjoy God, that God awakens us by the gift of faith, and we will continue in faith because he is seen to it in our life. But we also have this command to abide in the word of God. We can also live a fool's life as a Christian because we are not seeking him. God awakens us by the gift of faith. And yes, we will continue in faith because he is seeing to it. All those whom he has saved, they are eternally saved. Hebrews 3.14, For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So it's not did I believe, it's am I still believing. The Lord has his remnant and it involves Jews and Gentiles. His remnant will continue in the faith. Those who believe the gospel will be saved. Those who have been born again, they will continue in the faith. Verse 20 tells us to stand fast through faith. Verse 22 says, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. So we should listen to the words of the Apostle Paul and take time to examine our own life to make sure that we actually have saving faith. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Colossians 1, and you who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So if you are an old saint this morning, or if you're a young saint proclaiming to have faith in Christ, you are called to a life of examination no matter your spiritual age. Are you continuing in the faith? That is the question. The Apostle Paul's mission was taking the gospel to the Gentiles, but at the same time, he desired his fellow Jews to be saved. If you're an old saint and you're not concerned about the salvation of souls around you, you should be concerned. Because over 1,700 years later, here we are. We stand in a long line of men and women who have loved the Lord, lived for the Lord, and they died for the Lord. Generation after generation, the gospel has been proclaimed and the Lord has had his remnant and he still does today. Salvation has come to the Gentiles because Israel stumbled and fell. The salvation of the Gentiles will cause Israel to become jealous or envious and Israel's jealousy of the Gentiles will lead to the full inclusion of Israel. Here we are, almost 2023. The Lord is still slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He is still saving sinners today. And his children still have his commands. 
We don't understand persecution. We don't understand hardships here. We think that we are oppressed and beat down, but we are not. From generation to generation, no matter what his children have gone through, those who lean on him, those who reliance is upon him, those who go to him and they find security and rest and comfort and love and compassion and grace and faithfulness, they realize that Christ is all that they really have. The Lord is not done saving souls. And we, as his children, we still have his commands. We have been entrusted with the gospel which means God has given it to us and he has told us to do something with it and that's to go and to share it. And it's been advanced by God's grace, but our mission is not yet over because the Lord is not done growing his kingdom. Let us behold God's kindness, but also his severity. Matthew 16 Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, you will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. 2 Corinthians 5, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. That's, that's what Paul was doing. He was, he was going before these people saying, Yes, I am a chosen instrument to carry the gospel to the Gentiles, but I pray and I hope that my ministry will persuade the Jews. God is so very patient with sin. He is gracious in saving sinners. In the end, we will all be judged. And if you're not his right now, his wrath abides on you today at this moment. If you are his, your command by God himself is to fear him. You know your sin, you know your struggles, you know your idols, your false gods, you know the things that you are pursuing. You know when the word says, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You know what you need to be denying, do it. The question is, do you have a great reverence for the Lord in your life? Or do you just have mental acknowledgement? The Lord is kind, but do not be foolish and ignore his severity. The Lord is still growing his church and we are to love him by keeping his commands. And anytime the word of God is opened and taught, whether it's to the children, whether it's to the youth, whether it's in Sunday school, whether it's here from this pulpit, each of us, whether we listened or we did not listen, you will respond to God's word today. My question is, how will you respond 
Are you already thinking about what you're going to do the rest of the day? Are, are you already concerned about what you're going to eat? Are you already focused upon all the things that you have to get done that you will ignore the word the rest of the day? I want to close with the best summary I've read of Romans 11. It was written by Daniel Dornai. He said, Romans 11, verses 1 through 24, tells us that God is patient with sin. That he graciously chooses a remnant and preserves them. That he hardens unbelievers and grafts Gentiles into the tree that is Israel. In all this, God manifests his kindness to his people and his severity or justice toward sin. So what is your response to God's word? Are you going to become proud? Because there's many ways in which you and I become proud. We become proud when we ignore the commands of God. When we know what we should be doing, but we don't do it, we have pride. I know that God has told me to do this, but you know what? I'm going to do this. That's becoming proud. God's word has told us today that we are to fear him, which means we use our mind. We know what we are to fear. We understand who God is. We understand our commands that he has given to us, and we live in light of that. He is, he is building up all of this to where we're going to get in two weeks to Romans chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And that's what Christians are to be. You're to be a living sacrifice. You don't live for you and be proud and say, look what they don't have. Look at what I have. We look at what God has given us and we live in light of that. God is patient with sin. He has he graciously chosen a remnant and he preserves them. He keeps them. He hardens unbelievers. He grafts in Gentiles into the tree that is Israel. He manifests his kindness and his severity or justice toward sin. Father, I thank you for your holy word. Father, as God's children, I pray that we would, we would ponder, we would meditate, we would think upon what you have said, that we just not only hold up your kindness, but also severity, not just in evangelism and talking with others, we hold up your kindness, but also your severity in our own life. that we come before you confessing our pride, our arrogance, what we have thought too highly of ourselves and not thought enough about you and not put others' needs before ourselves. May we bathe in your kindness, but also bathe in your severity, your wrath, your judgment, the fact that you hate sin and you must punish it. Tear down our altars in which we have built with our own hands and pursued things that are unworthy. And by your spirit, Lord, build in our life where we are living sacrifices for you. Thank you for your gospel going to the Jews. Thank you for extending that gospel to the Gentiles. It's in the name of Christ we pray.
Amen.